Why don't you uh, turn in your Bibles with me? We are in our study of 1 John. So you can turn over or tab over to 1 John chapter 1. If you need to borrow a Bible, you can wave at Micaiah, our bouncer for third service. Gentle giant. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. So, Micaiah right there in front of you. Sorry. I entitled our message, Our Spiritual Soap. It's just something that over the years I've referred to 1 John 1, 9 as our spiritual soap. And so we'll look at these verses. But I, I thought it'd be good. And I do want to do a little bit of retread for context. Um, just make sure we, we're, we're locked in. So why don't we do this? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to start at verse 5. So I'm going to back up. Even though we've studied these verses and looked at them, I think it's good for us just to keep the context as we consider 8, 9, and 10. All right, John writes, he says, This is the message we have heard from him, speaking of Jesus. We heard from Jesus. We declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now he sets up five conditional phrases, this premise that he walks us through. He says, here's the first one. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and the idea is that yet, although we walk in darkness, he just tells us plainly, right? You're lie. You lie. You're living a lie. You don't practice the truth. But, here's the contrast. We don't walk in darkness. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, well, we do have fellowship with God and one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, has cleansed us from all sin. Well, if we say that we have no sin, well, once again, we, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And he goes back and there's a pattern here. It's negative, positive, negative, if you will. And back to the positive. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. God is just. He'll forgive us of our sins. He'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And he pivots back to the negative. But if we, if we say that we have not sinned, well, not only do we lie to ourselves, he ups the ante. He, he says, we make, we make him, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. All right, we're going to hone in on 8, 9, and 10 this afternoon. We'll pause there real quick and let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this blessing that we can gather and study your word. Lord, we know that as you have told us that apart from you, we can do nothing. And Lord, I even believe that we, we can't really understand, fully understand what your word says apart from your scripture. These are spiritual things. And so we need your spirit who inspired John to pen these words. Lord, that we might then trust your spirit and rely upon your spirit to illuminate uh, what does this say? What does it mean? And Lord, also, so what? How does it apply to us today? What are the handles we can put upon these truths so we can carry them home? Uh, regardless of where we're at and how young or old we might be, how long we've walked with you or how short, Lord, we trust that you have something you want to say and reveal and implant in our heart. And so we pray that you'd help us, that our heart would be a readied soil to receive the implanted word of truth that 
the roots of your truth would grow down deep and Lord fruit would be, um, would bear. And, and Lord, we, we would experience that and even partake, uh, enjoy of the work you're doing in our hearts and lives. And so I thank you, God. We, we all came in today at a different place mentally and emotionally and spiritually. But Lord, you're able just to meet us where we're at in your great love. And so I pray you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. And it would be more than just an academic exercise of taking notes and writing things in the margin of our Bible. But Holy Spirit, you would, you would change our hearts today. And at the end, it would be that we would be more in love with you and more in love with your word than we first walked in and climbed those mountain stairs uh, to be in this place. So we commit our study to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And all right, take a moment, say hello, introduce yourself to somebody new. Uh, We're real spread out, so you can take some time, walk across, say hello. There are a lot of different themes that we have come through. We talked before, if you've been with us through our journey of 1 John, that some of the major themes really are the the idea that God is light and God is love. Uh, He's going to talk about our life in the Lord, the spirit. And certainly all of it centered on Jesus Christ, you know, our Lord and Savior. When we get to this part of of the first chapter of John, he's talking about confession and he's talking about forgiveness. Uh, Great, great topics to talk about. I mean, uh, almost inexhaustible when it comes to the idea of how how can we um, plumb the depths of the topic of God's forgiveness? I I don't think we can. I think it's like like grace, you know, the idea of, of equating it as an ocean, right? We can barely just kind of get our toes wet as we stand in the shoreline and to consider the the vastness and the beauty and the depth of God's grace to include God's forgiveness. Uh, But John brings us into some things. And so we want to make sure we, we, we tackle what he gives us. You know, forgiveness is a very powerful thing. Certainly there's a power when, we uh, experience that from somebody else or we extend that to somebody else. Uh, What that can do to a person's life, uh, what that can do to our life to be forgiven and to be reconciled and restored. Uh, I mean, certainly it's powerful when it comes to our forgiveness that God extends to us. There's a story that uh, Ernest Hemingway wrote. It's a short story. It's called the capital of the world. And, in this story, he, he relates this account where there's, and it takes place in Spain and in Madrid. There, there's a dad and the son, they get into this altercation. The son sins against the family, sins against the father. And basically in his shame, he runs away. And the, and the story unfolds where the dad then goes looking for the son all through the countryside, all throughout Spain. But he can't find him. He's just gone. And so finally, as they're there in Madrid, at a, basically at a last ditch act of desperation, the dad puts a, an ad in the newspaper with hopes that maybe his son will see this paper, this ad and respond. And so the ad read simply, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montaña Tuesday at noon. All is forgiven, Papa. And father prayed. 
And his son would see that and would respond. And so on Tuesday came, noon came, the father shows up at the hotel, couldn't believe his eyes. There was a squadron of police officers that were standing there. And the reason that they were there is because uh, there in front of the hotel were 800 young men. 800 young men by the name of Paco looking to be restored and forgiven from their father. It's a powerful story. Now it's a story, but it's a powerful story. And I think it's one that, that resonates with us, right? It, 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 it pulls upon our heart strings because we, we know, right? We, we, we gravitate towards that, the power of forgiveness. It's a powerful agent in all of the universe. It, it literally can transform a life. This past Friday, I had tremendous blessing and honor. Uh, I got a phone call. There was a, a 88-year-old young grandma, Okinawan grandma, who was in the hospital, um, doctors concerned. Um, so her daughter flew from San Diego to be here. They said they're not sure how much time is left. And so the daughter flew here. Now the daughter um, and her family would visit, has been visiting uh, every summer. They come and they're part of our church. And so we've met mom before and the brother, they've, they've brought him here. They've been sharing the gospel with them for many years. And so I, I was asked to come and pray and, and just share the gospel once again. Um, again, not knowing how much time mom has left. And, and God moved in a super sweet way. It just... This, this 88-year-old grandma res- prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. And that prompted then the brother <laughs> to do the same. And it was just this, gosh, I, I, for lack of a better way to describe it, I was just thankful. Like, Lord, thank you that I, I got to have a front row seat to watch you just change a life right in front of, in front of me. And it, and it reminded me, there's this young sweet gal in our church, her name's Mal, and her own grandma a couple years ago, at that time, I think she was 86, um, was coming around and, and I'll never forget. Uh, she's in my office, Pastor Alex and I are sharing with her and just talking with her. And she asks us just so sweet, but very poignant. She says, can Jesus really forgive me of all my sins? I'm 86 years old. I, I've done some things I'm not proud of. And we, and we basically walked her through the gospel and we told her verse seven, that the blood of Jesus Christ, the son of God will cleanse us from all our sin. Oh, and she began to cry. Just this release and relief. And, and all she could say is, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. And that the power of God's forgiveness in our life literally changes us, changes our life. Paul writes to the Colossians and he, and he says to them in chapter two, verses 13 and 14, that when, when you were dead, when you and I spiritually dead in our sins, like he says to the Ephesians, the uncircumcision of your flesh, the idea that we weren't sensitive to the things of the spirit, right? We were dulled to the things of the spirit. And yet God made you alive. God initiates that. God is the, 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 
the seeker of us, right? He made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And this powerful, beautiful picture, the idea that he canceled out the charges against us. The NIV says it's the the legal indebtedness, right? The, The law declared us guilty. And yet Jesus made a spectacle of that. Another version says, another trans, uh, passage says, he, 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 take, he took it and he nailed it to the cross, right? Because he, he took our sins upon himself. Psalm 86.5 says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good and abounding in love to all who call to you. It, it, it is the forgiveness of our heavenly father that we all so desperately need. And again, so much that could be said about that. And even as Jesus holds that up as the, as the standard, as the, as the, the, the conditionality that as God has forgiven us, so then we should, we ought then to forgive one another. How, how great a debt we've been forgiven. So we then should forgive you know, others who have sinned against us. Well, I'm going to, we're going to unpack these three verses, eight, nine, and 10. Uh, again, you'll notice with me, that they're all this kind of premise. Uh, and they all begin with, if we, right? If we say, and if we confess, and then back to, if we say. Now we're, we're jumping back on this train of thought. And I know some of you weren't here last Sunday with us. And so grateful that you're here today. Thank you. Uh, I'll do a little bit of review, but if you want more of it in depth, we do have podcasts and our live stream archive. You're welcome to, you know, go back and check that out. But you might be familiar with first John, or maybe as a way of review. Remember the, one of the major ideas of his letter is he's, he's talking about our fellowship with God. And so that word's going to pop up quite a bit. And it's already you know, shown up um, several times, even in the first chapter. And, he, and he's told us that our fellowship, our connection, our koinonia, our, our communion with God doesn't come by rules. It doesn't come by rituals. It doesn't come by, it doesn't come by religion. But it, but it comes through a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and when we have fellowship with the son, I mean, we have fellowship with the father through the son. And so John will contend a lot like the book of James. If you're familiar with James, that to be in a real relationship with Jesus will mean then there's a real change in what we do, how we live. <laughs> there, he, he'll put the premise that, our conduct should equal our confession. That what we profess, what we say, there should be an equal sign then to what we practice, how we live. We talked before, it's, uh, it's like the Jenny Craig picture of the gospel. Right? We, we once walked according to the pattern of this world, right? We, we once were aliens. We once, once were at enmity with God. That, that's our old life. But now, right? But in God's grace, because of God's mercy. But, but today, now, that there's a different picture. And there should be. 
And so in this letter, particularly he'll hone in on that our love for God, our, our professed love for God, it, it will primarily manifest self man, manifest itself in our love for people. So later on say, you can't say that you love God and hate your brother and hate your you know, people around you. Then you're living a lie. Really similar to the conditionalities he sets up here. What undergirds this, and he doesn't address directly, he'll, he'll never use the term Gnosticism or Docetism. But we know by history that there's this false teaching that has made its way already at this time. And John is addressing this. And so there's a little bit of a background and it helps us to understand why he's making certain points that he makes. See, Gnosticism in, in Greek it just means knowledge. But the idea was that there's this group that thought or purported that they oh, there's special knowledge. And the special knowledge was that anything material, anything of the flesh, the body, well, it, it's evil. It's bad. It's no good. It's no bueno. But everything of the spirit is purely whole. It's good. It's, you know, it's, um, yeah, spiritual things are good. And so that being the baseline, it gave rise then to these obscure heresies. And one of them being what we call docetism. And, and, and the basis of that basically is that since they believe that everything of the flesh was bad, right? Anything material is bad. Then Jesus could not have come in the flesh. And so those their claim that people saw Jesus, heard Jesus, their claim then was, oh, he really wasn't then in bodily form. He came as some kind of heavenly hologram. He's just uh, an apparition. He's a phantom. He didn't really exist in the material because the material is bad. That's their claim. If you're older like me, you know, be like, like Casper, the friendly ghost. But that stands in complete contradiction to the scripture. That's why it's heretical. It's not biblical. The Bible teaches us, no, God left heaven, came to earth, was born of a virgin, became a man. He walked and he talked. And, and, and then he, you know, so it, it discounts, right? The, the incarnation of God. And you know what else it discounts? It discounts then his sacrifice because the Bible says he, he died a bodily death. He, he was beaten and bruised and he bled for you and for me. And so that heretical false teaching discounts the incarnation and discounts then the crucifixion. Which I mean, essentially is that's, that's, that's the, the core of the gospel. And so that's why we see John make great emphasis, right? Right out of the gate. He doesn't even waste any, he doesn't even introduce himself. He just starts with from the beginning. This is what we heard and saw and, and, and touched. My paraphrase, we had, we had fish tacos with Jesus. We hung out with him. And so he makes great emphasis on the fact that he saw a physical Jesus. He had a tangible, uh, literal experience with him. So what undergirds that is he's coming against this false teaching. Another, another stem of Gnosticism that he 
and since engages is that their thought was, well, since the spirit is the real substance and then everything of the body and the flesh is immaterial, they would go on to say, well, then it's inconsequential. You can just do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's like taking a rental and just trashing the rental. It doesn't matter. And so John engages that. And he's going to say, no, yeah, yes, it does matter. You know, sadly, that type of idea still permeates our world today. I would say divorce to the spiritual side of it. There's this teaching that says, oh, your life really doesn't matter. You just do whatever you want. Go live it up. You're born, you live, you die, you're worm food. That's what the world says. The world says, oh, we evolved over millions of years. You, there's this goo, then the zoo, then you. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that God created Adam, you know, man and woman, Adam and Eve. We, you and I are created in the image of God. Your life has value. It has purpose. God gave that to you. No one can take that away. And so yet we, we live, you know, in societies that, that much like uh, the, Gnosis, not the Gnostics that would say it doesn't really matter then. You can just do whatever you want. You, you know what the result of, of that mentality and ideology is? Lawlessness, murder, crime, uh, disrespect for authority. What else? Just confused people. A very cold-hearted world. And, 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 and a society of people, and sadly we're seeing it more and more, right? They, they don't know if they're a boy or girl. Right? All, all flying in the face of what scripture says. It, it's a fallout of a society that shakes its fist against our creator God and, and says, we don't believe in you. We don't want your word. We don't want Jesus. Mocks the gospel. You know, what's amazing though, as we were in Peter reminded that God still loves people and God still wants people to be saved and be delivered out of darkness, be delivered out of the depravity that he's willing that none would perish, but everybody would come to repentance. That's still the heart of God. And, and God's the one who pursues us. Jesus said he came to seek that which was lost, right? To save us. And so God calls us into fellowship. And if we're really in fellowship, then John asserts, well, there's going to be a change of our lifestyle. We're not going to walk in darkness anymore. We're going to walk in the light. But then he adds these, these conditions though, five of them. If starting in verse six, if we say, and if we walk, and if we say, and if we confess. So we looked at two of them last week. Here's the remaining three. Verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin. Now, if you read verse seven, it says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And then we roll right into verse eight. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And there's an element where that seems a little bit contradictory. I thought when I came to Christ that 
the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me from all sin. And so wouldn't I be without sin? But then John says, but if you say that, then you're, you're deceiving yourself. How can, how can those both be true? Listen, there is on one hand, and probably review for a number of you, that we realize that verse 7 is absolutely true. We, we have been forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, and future sin. The psalmist says in Psalm 103 verse 9, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed your transgressions far from you. The writer of Hebrews tells us in 1014, by one sacrifice, Jesus being, as John the Baptist would say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By his one perfect sacrifice, we are made perfect forever. But notice there's also a progression there, right? They're being made holy. He says and writes, Paul writes in Romans 5, 9. How much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And so the Bible is very clear that through one perfect sacrifice by one perfect lamb without blemish, without spot, as Peter told us, Jesus, the lamb of God, by his life, by his death, you and I have been forever clean. And the Bible uses all kinds of descriptors for that. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased. We've been born again. We've been washed. We've been regenerated. We've been justified. It's a great play on words in English. It doesn't try, quite translate in the Japanese, but it's the idea that, that when we're justified, it's just if I'd never sinned. That's the idea. Whatever our past record of sin was, as we read earlier, Jesus wiped the slate clean. And it's an action that's done to us and for us. We, we don't do that. that. Another descriptor is it's been imputed to it. We've been credited with what God, you know, Jesus did for us. Another way it's described is We've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So that when God sees you, he sees his son. And so we've been clothed with the righteousness of God. And so this is true, right? Positionally, we're saved. Positionally, when God sees you, well, he sees Jesus. But it only takes a few minutes, though, to realize that though we're forgiven, we still battle the flesh. We still sin. Anybody here willing to admit that you're a sinner? Only, only three of us? We still sin. We still fight this thing called the old nature. And I appreciate what Paul writes that he describes this battle in Romans 7 for us. You know, I mean, Paul the apostle, right? God used him to plant churches and save people and do miraculous things. I mean, even people got his hanky and they got, you know, healed. But then he writes in Romans, he says, I see this battle in me. The thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the thing that I, 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 I don't want to do, I find myself, did I ever say that? Too many cookies. Anyways, you, you get me, right? He's like, and I see this war in me, he says. It's a spiritual battle. I appreciate that. I'm like, man, thank you. Because 
I, I experienced that. I mean, even the simplicity of things like stumble in my weakness. There's a bake sale today. I'm like, ooh. The siren call of snickerdoodles and, and yummy, thick chocolate chip cookies that Becca brought in. <laughs> Listen, positionally, we're righteous. But practically, we still do dumb stuff. And so God has saved us out of a sinful world. But now the process is God gets the sinful world out of us. And if you've been in church for a bit, you know, you know that term. It, it's called sanctification. Justified in one sense is positional. We're in, you're in God's team. God gives you the Jesus uniform. You're saved, you're locked in. But the spirit then still works in us. It's God who then works and wills according to his good pleasure that we then would walk in the good works that he has ordained beforehand. And his promise to us, Philippians 1.6 is, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And so we submit and surrender our heart as the spirit works in us partner, if you will, with him. But what, what, is, what does he go on to say though? If we say that we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. He says we're living a lie. It's the same conclusion in verse six. If you say, you know, God, and you love God, and yet you're still living in sin. You're still doing the things that you used to do. Uh, you're living in the world. He says, you're, you're lying to yourself. So again, it's on, it's, on one hand, it's kind of a direct shot at the Gnostic false idea that uh, the material body is inconsequential. As though it doesn't matter what you do. And says, no, that you're denying the truth. There's also a sense that it reminds us that though we have been forgiven and cleansed, we are still sinners in need of God's continued grace and forgiveness. Because the inverse will be true, right? If to say we have no sin makes us a liar, well, how do we tell the truth? Well, it's to say that we, are, we have sin. It is to acknowledge the fact that though we are forgiven and though we've been washed, we still sin. We still stumble and fall and we still need forgiveness. I think about the account of the Pharisee and the tax collector Jesus observing these two guys who go to the altar. They're going to go worship in Luke 18 and, and the Pharisee, a religious leader. The idea, he's really proud. His chest is puffed out. He's self-righteous. And, and, and he basically prays this prayer. He's boasting about how righteous he is. I'm think, thank God I'm not like this person. And the tax collector comes. He, his head is hanged low. He, he, He's very aware of his sinfulness and he beats his chest and he's like, Lord, forgive me. I'm such a sinner. Jesus sees both of them and he makes commentary on their, their, their confession. And he says, one of them goes home justified. It's the tax collector. To recognize we we're, we're sinners. Yes. We've been forgiven. Yes. God will forgive us. And, 
And yet at the same time, we are still working through, we're still works in progress. We're trophies of God's grace. We're not perfected yet. We're being perfected. And along the way, we're going to misstep. We're going to stumble sometimes. We're going to fall sometimes. And so I hope that this one verse for us then at least stirs up the idea that we, we should embrace a humility then about ourselves. A, a genuine humility, not feigned, not fake, and certainly not a self-righteous arrogance where we think, oh, we're better than other people. Well, I've known the Lord for 29 years now, so that makes me better than the person who's known the Lord for 29 days. No, no, it doesn't. Not at all. We, we all need God's grace and mercy. He goes on to say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our sins, you know, when you think about sin, what is sin? Sin, sin basically just means we, we're not perfect. We've missed the mark. It's taken from an archery term. You ever played, you know, shot arrows at a target or think about darts, right? On a dartboard. The bullseye, if you can get bullseye every time, that's perfect. That's perfection. If you're like me, sometimes I'll hit the wall, right? I'm terrible at darts. Anytime you miss the bullseye, that's sin. Right? You didn't hit the mark of perfection. Here's what the Bible says. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. Right? Puts the playing field even for all of us. And so we, we recognize that, oh, we have sin. And, and here's if we confess it, then what does it mean to confess? The word confess in the Bible, it means to agree. It means to agree. I think often when we read it, at least in the English, we, we, we think of it as, uh, I'm going to make something known that somebody else didn't know. I'm going to put something in the light that uh, was hidden, the secret. And so now I'm going to confess something that I've done like this person doesn't know. It's like I go to my house and I open my fridge and save this tamale and somebody ate it. My last tamale. And so I call the usual suspects and my wife and my kids and I line them up. Confess now your impardonable sin who ate my tamale. Disclosing something that's unknown. There's a part of that, but when it comes to confession to God, it's not as though God doesn't know. It's not like, hey, Lord, I don't know if you know this or not. I got I to drop something on you right now. I'm going to confess to you something that, it's not, that's not, it's not in the, the lane of, okay, God's like, ooh, what is it? I wonder what it is. You realize God already knows? We can't hide things from the Lord. God's not shocked. He already knows. And here's the crazy thing. God still loves you. You realize that? As much as we blow it, and we do, God still loves us. And he's not shocked. And so to confess means we're agreeing with God that this is bad, that this is sin. And I love that John just keeps it real for us. He acknowledges Here's what he's basically saying. Listen, we're not perfect. 
None of us are. And God already knows that. And so we don't need to pretend to be something we're not. We don't need to pretend to be so great and so good, you know, and and just put on kind of this false air that all our life is so perfect. God already knows that it's not, and we don't need to pretend to be. And and so we can just be real and raw with God. and, And I would even add, we can be real with people, real with ourselves, certainly. And so what is confession then? Confe- confession is I'm, I'm agreeing with God. God says, listen, that's not good for you. I, I love you. I want what's best for you. I realize you might enjoy that for a moment, but that's going to be really bad for you. And when we sin, then we agree with God. Lord, yeah, that, that wasn't good for me. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted that way. And so we agree with God when we then confess our sins. And by the way, notice it's our sin. There's a, a great reminder for us. We, we don't need to make excuses. We don't need to play the blame game. It is to take personal responsibility, uh, own it. Right? it. I think it's easy for us sometimes to be like, well, it's because of my upbringing or it's because, you know, I'm Italian or uh, I, I'm from New York or uh, this is my score on this particular personality test. I'm a little bit of a hothead. Listen, that, that, our, our family of origin stuff, I mean, all of us have different bags and, and some of us have more bags than others. And, and so there's, there's an element, okay, it, it shapes then how we deal with difficulties and how we approach conflict. And, you know, and so we're, God's working through those things. But while it make explanation, here's what God does. He cuts the line of our excuse, though. We don't have any, we can't make excuse. And it leaves us then to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to just be honest. Yeah, it, that's me. I shouldn't have lost my temper. I, I shouldn't have clicked that thing. I shouldn't have uh, been talking trash behind their back. Wh- whatever it may be. See, redemption and restoration begins with recognition. I'm at fault. I- I'm a sinner. And so verse 9 encourages us to just cultivate an honest ownership of our sins, no blame games, no, no excuses, no blame shifting. Just, just be real with God and be real with yourself. Everyone, God called Adam, Adam and Eve in the garden. He told him, Hey, don't eat this tree. Actually two trees. Don't eat this of these trees, the fruit of these trees. And what happened? They blew it, right? They, they ate the ultimate Adam bomb. They messed up. They sinned. They transgressed God's, God said don't, and they did. And so when that happened, the Bible says their eyes were open. They became aware of their nakedness. They became very ashamed. What happened? Anybody know? For a thousand points, what did they do? They hid. They went and hid themselves. And they tried to cover themselves, which is crazy because they try to cover themselves with fig leaves. If you've ever been to Israel, they're super scratchy. Anyways. 
They're hiding. And then it says, the Bible says that God then walking in the coolness of the garden calls out to Adam, Adam, where are you? And it's not that God didn't know where Adam was. It's not as though God's like, where where did Adam go? You ever play hide and seek with little kids? They're the worst. They're terrible at that game. Because they'll hide behind things like, you know, just because they, or they'll even close their eyes, right? Like, I, yeah, we see you, but we don't, we just play along. Like, where, where are they? Where are you? That's like us trying to hide from God. It's like, we're terrible at it. God, God sees us. And so when God calls to Adam, where are you? It wasn't that God didn't know. It's for Adam to recognize, oh, I'm hiding. I have broken fellowship from God. And an opportunity for him then to confess what he did. Now, I also appreciate because he does what we did, right? He tried to blame. He, and Adam's clever. Because you, know Adam, you know what Adam's excuse was? You guys remember? It was the woman. It was the woman you gave me, right? It's like two, two steps away. Well, you gave this lady to me, Lord. So God's like, no, I'm not playing that game. And so they confessed their sin. God restored their relationship, but it was different, right? There were still consequences to their sin. And so there are times where there, we, we will still have to deal with the fallout of our stupidity. We still have to deal with the consequences of the mess that we made, but understand God's forgiveness is instantaneous. Reconciliation, it happens. And so confession is really not a sign of weakness. It's, it's really a courageous step. And when we recognize our sinfulness, it, that's, that's a step towards reconciliation and, and restoration of relationship. And so what is God's part? Well, guess what? He forgives you. He's faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. Notice of all unrighteousness. Man, for many years, I've referred to 1 John 1, 9 as our spiritual soap. And it's a soap that I need every day. Because <laughs> I blow it every day. Try to keep my account very short with God. And with others as best I can. You know, I used to be addicted to soap. But I'm clean now. Right. Make sure you're not. Thank you, thank you. Come back later for my aunt. Listen, John's writing to Christians. And so there is an element of this certainly applies to the person who turns from their life of sin, gives their heart to Christ and receives Jesus as their Lord and savior. But in the context of us as believers today, we still sin and we still can continue to confess. It is an ongoing Every day, as often as you need it, we come to the Lord and we recognize, Lord, I messed up. I I confess my sins. And it's not about salvation. Our salvation isn't the issue. It's not that we lose our salvation. The issue is our sanctification. The issue is is our intimacy with God. A closeness that we get to experience, a fullness of his fellowship, that gets broken. 
See, the reality is we sin and we sin because we're sinners. And God prescribes this wonderful um, spiritual soap in the form of confession. And his part is that, well, he's faithful to forgive. And he will cleanse and forgive you when you and I confess our sins. And notice, it's not some sins, it's not most sins. It is all of ours, all unrighteousness. As we sang earlier, that Chris Tomlin song, right? His, his uh, love ran red. The idea is his blood was shed for us. The Old Testament says, though our sins were as scarlet, we've been made white as snow. Forgiveness is a very powerful thing in all the universe. And, and that is powerful because Jesus Christ gave his life for us. The blood of Christ. What's the, what's the greatest stain remover in all the world? It's not bleach. It's not vinegar that my wife gets. It makes our house smell like salad sometimes. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. And 1 John 1, 9 assures our heart. God will forgive you and wipe the slate clean. Listen, that's true today. Whatever you have done. Sometimes we get in our mind to think that, oh, God changed a deal on us. Like we got, we got a complete sleep, you know, all of our sins were forgiven when we came to Christ. But now afterwards, man, we better make sure we don't mess up because if so, we lose the deal. No, the same grace that you saved, you and I were saved by, it's not a one-time coupon that we punched and God's like, all right, it's gone. Better tow this line. God's grace still remains. But even where we abound in sin, grace abounds the more. Now Paul says, let's not use that as an excuse or a cloak. Just go live with it however we want to. We realize, oh, there's consequences. God loves you. And because he loves you, guess what? Just like a father who loves us, they're spanking. Sometimes he'll chastise us. But there's always forgiveness and redemption and restoration. So he comes back to in the verse 10. He says, if we say we haven't sinned, not sinned, we make him a liar. His word's not in us. Verse 10 is almost like identical to verse 8. There's some subtle differences there. The two is verse 8 deals with the person who says, I, I, I have no sin as though none exists. And he says, that's a lie. Verse 10 is the person who claims they've never sinned. And he says, guess what? Not only is that a lie, you're making God a liar, which that's, he ups the ante, right? It's one thing to lie to yourself. It's another thing to say, well, God's lying. And I thought about the, the prodigal son in Luke 15. Do you know that account? Familiar with it? Powerful, beautiful. There's a son who goes to his dad, and I'll paraphrase if it's okay, he basically says, you're, you're as good as dead to me. Just give me my inheritance right now. I'm out. Insulting, especially in that culture. But dad and his loving grace gives his kid the, his part of the inheritance. He takes it and he goes and lives this wild life. He, he blows all the cash, finds himself working for a pig farmer, which as a good Jewish boy, that would be terrible. 
and he's just eating the pig slop. That's how low he gets. I mean, sometimes God will allow us to hit rock bottom. He has this epiphany. Kudos to him. He's like, what in the world am I doing? Even the servants at my dad's house have it better than I have it. So he decides, I'm going to go back. I'm going to just humble myself to my dad. And hopefully he'll take me just as a servant. The son comes back and, and, and then again, it's a beautiful story. It's powerful because it's a picture of, of God in heaven. When he sees the son from a distance, the Bible says the father runs to him. Right? The father runs to him and, and embraces him and, and restores him, right? Puts the clothes on him, his ring on him. He even says, hey, my son, I thought he was dead. He's alive again. Let's have a big party. And so they bust out the carne asada, right? And they put a big barbecue and get the burgers going. Beautiful picture uh, of, of restoration, of redemption, forgiveness. God is the initiator of that. But do you know there's another brother in the story? You know there's another brother? There's an older brother and the older brother, when he hears what happened, that the younger brother came back and the dad forgave him and they're having a big barbecue. You remember his reaction? What's the reaction of the older brother? He's angry. He's not like, that's great. That's so cool. He's angry. He is frustrated. He refuses to celebrate. And so the dad actually goes to him as well. This is in Luke 15, if you want to read it later. And the dad says, hey, my paraphrase, what's up? Come on, your brother's back. And the older brother says, for many years, I've been with you and I never transgressed your commands. I never sinned. And it's in that self-righteousness that presents itself then as anger and bitterness and comparison. And he makes this claim, I've never sinned. John says, if we say we have not sinned, we're making God a liar. I mean, it's only the person who's deeply self-deceived or has a warped understanding of what sin is, or they're extremely prideful that would ever make that claim. And so John elevates the ante, if you will, right? Not, not, not only do you, you're lying to yourself, you're not practicing truth, you, you then make God a liar and his word's not even in you. You move into the realm of blasphemy. And so he bookends his thought very similar with some nuance. And really, what does it amount to? It it amounts to the fact that we've heard from him from verse five, that God is light. And so we should then live in the light. That's the idea. We don't want to be self-deceived. We don't want to play games with God. We don't want to pretend to be something we're not. 
And so we live in the light of God's truth. And when we live in the light of God's truth, we recognize, okay, I'm not perfect. And God already knows that. So I don't, I don't need to pretend that I am. And I certainly don't, then we, we don't need to make excuse for our sin. We don't need to, we should take ownership and realize, okay, I blew it. And if we sinned against God, let's make our confession to the Lord and he'll forgive us and cleanse us. If we sinned against somebody else, it's the same pattern. Keep your account short and go to that person and say, listen, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that, done that. I failed you. Will you forgive me? And no matter how far we have strayed and how big we've blown it, you need to know that God loves you and God forgives you and God runs to us to restore us. And that can happen today, right now, and tomorrow, and the next day too. God's amazing grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. What, what do we say to these things, Lord? I feel like thank you so inadequate. We marvel at your grace. We're humbled by it. And Lord, perhaps today we, we want to find ourselves in a place where we put this into practice even right now. Lord, we confess our sins to you. Lord, sometimes we, we, we can categorize them. We think, well, they're small or little. Or they're, it's a white lie. It's still a lie. So, Lord, we, 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 we confess right now things that we've said, mean words, cutting words, harsh words, lies, dumb jokes, crude things. Lord, forgive us for our, those sins that we can hide pretty easy sometimes. It's, it's jealousy. It's envy. It's pride. Our fear, Lord. We're not trusting you. We, we've run ahead of you. We've taken matters into our own hands and we're beginning to realize like, well, we, we're making a bigger mess of this thing than we, the needs to be. Lord, forgive us for even our laziness. That we haven't acknowledged you in all of our ways. We begin to compartmentalize you. Lord, any and all of our sins, and we trust, and I trust that your spirit will speak to our hearts in a very personal way. And we, we leave those things today, Father, at the foot of the cross of Christ. To know that you've forgiven us by your blood. We've been washed clean. And we can leave today, right now, Lord, to un- unload that burden of guilt and shame. We don't have to be uh, entangled to our past shackled to that Lord all the things that maybe we're even embarrassed if other people knew we'd be ashamed but Lord you thank you, you you've, you've paid for that and Lord sometimes it's hard for us to even 
in one sense, forgive ourselves. It's our own penance. So Lord, I I pray if there's anybody in that, that place today that they would know that you love them. And Jesus died for their sins. And even today as believers, we, we can confess to you. And when we do, Lord, you're faithful, you're loving, you're good. You forgive us, you cleanse us. Well, there still might be the fallout and repercussions and things we need to navigate through. Lord, thank you for your grace. By faith, we want to receive it now. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen.